Hi, I'm Jason Day, Senior Public Relations and Communications Officer at the University of Northampton. Welcome to this podcast where I speak to Dr. Tanya Richardson, Senior Lecturer in Education, Childhood, Youth and Families. We chatted about what she does and the importance of the first 1,000 days of our development, specifically speech and language development outside the classroom, which is Tanya's main area of interest. Let's hear what she had to say. And why are the early years of our lives so important? My specialism is working within the early childhood field. I lead the early childhood studies programme and early childhood is really a a passion of mine because of the importance um, of that stage of life um, in our lifespan. We know from research and from kind of anecdotal evidence and what we see is that early years is the most crucial time of our lives. It's quite often referred to as the critical period because what we've seen in um, through the, the research, as I say, is that if we can get it right um, at the beginning, then that has um, implications for what goes on, comes later. Equally, if it goes wrong um, in the early stages, it's what... Um, it informs what comes later it really is the building block if you like those early years are really the building blocks um, of our future Um, that critical period depends on what you read and where you're looking but some would say a thousand and one critical days are the most important and that thousand and one day starts from conception through to the age of two um, because that's the period where the brain develops most the um that kind of real foundation of learning is starting um some would say that the critical period of learning something like language for example is the first three years of a child's life but what everybody on, agrees on is that it's those early years um that really make a huge difference for each and every one of our futures and one of those blocks those building blocks is uh, the development of language so um how does that happen during these critical early days yeah so language is the language is the area that i'm really particularly interested in we see um an explosion of language as they call it around the age of 18 to 24 months but that doesn't mean that development hasn't happened before then language development starts in the womb children are hearing voices hearing mother particularly um whilst in the womb and whilst developing and what goes on when that child enters the world the language that's around them the people that are interacting with them all starts to form that development and aid that explosion of language that happens at 18 to 24 months how it happens is through interactions really interactions with others interactions with the environment interactions with society um the jury's out um when you look at the research as to whether language is predominantly a nature or nurture um talent if you like or stage of development um some would say that we're all born with kind of the innate ability to communicate and speak um and there's been studies on children that particularly grown up in the wild or children have been Um, severely abused that show that they still manage to speak eventually but what really reinforces that language development is interaction that's so crucial and what we see in society today is 
the need for those quality interactions, people talking to children, even when they're tiny. I think some people think you, you can look a bit mad when you're talking to a tiny baby um, <laughs> because they don't talk back. So what's the point? But actually, there's every point because just because they don't talk back, it doesn't mean that they're not absorbing all that information. Babies and young children are like little sponges. They're sucking in everything that's going on around them. And the more they hear, the more that eventually, when they do um, talk, when that explosion happens, um, you know, all those things have, have laid the building blocks um, for that language development. And what's really important for children is that there's a kind of, there's almost a pyramid of um, speech development. So before they can, children can actually verbalise things and um, put together words. They need to develop attention and listening skills. They need to have understanding. Um, they need to be able to play. All of those things need to be in place before the language comes. And I think, you know, we th we just take it for granted, don't we, our speech? And when you think of all the things that are going on in our brain when we're having a conversation, all of those parts of the brain need to work as well before that language can come um, out of our mouths. So it's really important that we allow children opportunities to develop their attention, to develop their understanding. And all of that happens through those interactions that we can be so good at. And as an early years professional, you're working with parents or uh, carers who are having problems with these interactions. How do you help facilitate better interactions? Working with other professionals or individuals, or parents, um, students, and thinking about how to develop these strategies to um, help children learn language. It's basically going back to the basics. It's thinking about the things where communication and the places where communication happens naturally. I would suggest things if people are having difficulties with um, children and their language development, things like eating your dinner together around a table, communicating at the end of the day, sharing your experiences, things like um, talking to children about their day. I think the best place to talk to a child is in a car because there's no other distractions. Um, they can't escape you. <laughs> <They're there. laughs> um, getting away from those other um, distractions, the, you know, the phones, the screen time, the radio on in the background, the television on in the background, all of that background noise and all of that other stuff that goes on in our lives can really distract from a child's thinking process. And, you know, think about how we, if we're trying to find somewhere um, in the car where we've never been before and or trying to find somewhere to park, we turn the radio off, don't we, to think about it, which, you know, you think when you think about it, it seems a bit daft, but, you know, oh, I need to concentrate, I'm going to turn the radio off. Um, and then we fill children's lives with all of this noise and all of this busyness that, is, our, is their equivalent of having the radio on in the background in the car. Um, and so it's just kind of creating space, I think, to talk to children and communicate and making that part of your normal lives, talking to them, as I said, regardless of whether they talk back to you, because even if they're not talking back, they're, they're engaging with that. They're putting those words into context. They're expanding their vocabulary. They're hearing how you pronounce those words. It's modelling all the time. So if you've got a tiny baby, if they're in the kitchen while you're cooking, just narrate what you're doing. Talk about, you know, now I'm going to put the dishwasher on and I'll put the forks in here and I'll put them on. Although it's, as I said earlier, it makes you feel like you're going a bit do lally. <laughs> that actually, it's that those kind of things are invaluable. 
um, when you're helping children and their language development. And obviously we've um, heard um, there's been there's been lots of media coverage in the past and lots of professionals talking about the impact of the COVID pandemic. What sort of issues were were you seeing and, and what were you guys doing during that that you know long periods of lockdown for instance? COVID has had a, a detrimental effect effect on children's speech and language. We're now in a situation there where there's 1.9 million um, young children across the country who are really behind on speech and language development. That, and that's still now after all these years. Yes, it? as I was saying earlier about that critical period and the need for interaction and the need for social um, development. Obviously, through COVID, that stopped. Um, people weren't able to socialise. There was all probably in people's homes, you know, parents um understandably we're juggling we're managing we're trying to keep working alongside childcare. we're putting on the television we're keeping the kind of the noise going on in the background and and as such that snowball effect has made a real impact on children's speech and language although i said those periods of time are critical that doesn't mean that if you miss the boat that's it child is doomed for life there are you know things that parents can do and it's again it's going back to basics regardless of what the child's age is if developmentally they're not where they need to be it's now starting to do the things increasing the vocabulary talking to them lots all those you know, sitting around the table for um for dinner all of those skills that some people take for granted but invariably and you know are not happening in some homes and really it's important that that communication as a family happens um, to help children in this area. Can you tell us a little about your um, research, some of your re recent research projects into young children's language development? I was um, really interested in speech and language development, as you can tell. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> and when I had my nursery set in, I owned a um, field, we had a forest school site, and noted that children were talking differently when they were there compared to when they were playing and learning inside and I wanted to explore why that was I didn't understand what was happening in that environment that we weren't providing within the indoor space so the um, children were the children were switching the type of language they were using definitely yeah. definitely um they were changing what they said the vocabulary they used and the expression that they used behind that language but also the children that inside were quiet and shy and wouldn't say boo to a goose i got one particular child in my mind she wouldn't she talked she didn't talk at all inside really quiet and shy and we got to the field and she came alive she was shouting and laughing and talking with her friends uh, completely different to the um, language that we saw inside. And why um, was that? Was she just well, make, that... making up for lost time? Or... <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to explore. And, and I started to um, kind of research and see what, you know, what is it within the environment that prompted that? And there was nothing written and nothing. I couldn't find anything that talked about the impact of environment on ch children's speech and language. So there started my research journey, really. And my PhD study, therefore, looked at the impact of that environment on children's speech and whether the quality of the environment correlated with the quality of speech and language. I interviewed people to find out what they firstly thought was a quality environment for speech and language. And I talked to um, 
practitioners, I talk to children, I talk to parents, I talk to speech and language therapists, Ofsted inspectors, um, well-renowned authors and the subject. So I had all this kind of richness in their views of what people thought was a quality environment for speech and language. And I used those views to compile a kind of an audit tool so that we could then go out and look at these environments and, and say whether they were high quality or um, good, needed improvements, etc. And then what I did was I recorded children's speech using GoPros. They, I kind of rigged them all up with little cameras and they played around um, so I could see what environment they were playing in and I could hear the quality of their speech. And then I assessed that speech alongside the environment to see if there was a correlation between the two. Perhaps unsurprisingly, there was a link. The higher quality of the environment, the higher quality of speech and language. But the freedom outside, the, the acoustics, the fact that your sound isn't kind of echoed back at you necessarily. The fact that indoors in an early years environment, invariably somebody's following you around as a child, making notes or taking photos of you. You're observed a lot. Um, outside, that, that kind of pressure seems to go. There's people are further away from you you've got that just that space to be inside resources tend to be more um maybe they're more concentrated perhaps. closed yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah resources tend to be more purposeful inside you know you've got specific things and activities to do outside in the in the kind of forest school everything's natural everything's open-ended your imagination can run wild a stick can be whatever you want it to be so there were all these various elements that make an impact I suppose on children's speech and language yeah so that was kind of in a nutshell what I found out so what I've ended up with as a result of that research is this tool this audit tool that we can go out and use within environments um, to audit those environments to see if we can make changes to environments to enhance speech and language because in a nursery setting I'm saying to you interactions are really important but when you've got 30 children and only you know four staff uh, five staff or whatever it's impossible to interact with those children constantly and therefore you need that supportive environment that does that too alongside um, and so if we can get the environment right and we can get practitioners interacting right then the hope is that children's speech and language outcomes are improved and we don't have 1.9 million children with difficulties so with the um, audit tool that you've developed, have there been any applications from that so far or is research still ongoing? So the audit tool, when for my PhD, I um, used four settings to trial that in across various weeks and uh, sessions, etc. And although that study felt huge, it's not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not possible to generalise to the wider population uh, with those four settings. So it's really important to me to now do something with that. I didn't do a PhD for it to collect dust on a shelf. I want to make a difference in, for these children. So I've been lucky enough to have just been awarded some um, funding that will trial this tool in a much broader sense um, of partnering with Child Base, which is a nursery chain. They've got 44 settings, 43 settings across the country and they are going to use the tool in all of their settings we're going to record the children's speech in all of their settings to make sure it works and that we can say yeah, hand on heart this tool is you know beneficial for children and their environment and once we've got that data we will hoping then we can generalize that and send it out into the big wide world 
what are we teaching the next generation of earliest practitioners about the importance of language development? What sort of uh, what, what skills and aptitudes and tools are we giving them? That's a really good question. So early childhood studies is the course that um, I teach on and the fundamental underbelly of that course, if you like, is that child is child development. So that runs through everything that we do. And language is obviously an element of that development. So students learn in depth about how children's language develops um, and they learn all the theory um, behind that. But theory in itself isn't enough, as I said earlier at the beginning, that actually the theory and the practice need to come together. So not only do they learn the theory and, and the practicalities of what the textbooks say, but then we apply that to practice. So we learn lots of le language learning strategies or language stimulating strategies. The, there's placement on our course, so they actually go to go out and practice it in real life. And you know, we observe them when they're in practice. And we're wanting to see those kind of behaviours, those kind of strategies in place, um, because one of the most important things as a practitioner, that they get down to the child's level, they talk to them in an appropriate manner, they don't overload a child with questions, all of those things that are the basic skills of a practitioner. So it really runs through the centre of the course, like, you know, through the middle of a stick of rock, really. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to listen to more University of Northampton podcasts or want to find out more about courses or research happening at the university, head over to www.northampton.ac.uk.